Hello, and welcome to episode seven of the Silky Mitten State, a hockey podcast about Michigan. I'm your host, Sam Stockton. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Connor Eargood. Connor, you have just completed your reign as sports editor at the Michigan Daily. How does it feel? You know, got a, got a fishing trip to Alaska booked. Uh, I'm, I'm getting in an RV and traveling the world. Um, it's going to be fun. No, that's, that's a joke. Um, would not be going to Alaska this time of year. It's good. Uh, it, it was, you know, a very life-changing experience to be able to lead Michigan Daily Sports Section. Really proud of our successors. Um, as much as the, we joke that, you know, December 6th, the day that we were, were removed is, uh, you know, it, it, it relates to a certain day a month later. Um, <laughs> you, you can read the subtext, but as much as we joke about that and that they're stealing our, our, our you know, job, um, it, it, it was fun. And I'm, I'm glad they're taking over. They're going to do a great job. Um, any Michigan Daily readers will recognize Noah Kingsley, um, who was on the beat last year with, with Sam and I. Um, covering Michigan, and then Rekha Leonard, who is actively covering hockey right now, and you should read all her stuff, as well as the rest of the beat. Mini plug at the front, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> running the podcast. A, a well-deserved plug for all involved. I, I do have a little follow-up there. Can you travel the world via RV? It feels like at I, best you can travel the continent via RV, or I guess you could well, make moves into South America, too. Is it, okay, technicality here. Can you use a boat to move the Winnebago? Do people do that though? Like, can you, if you want to ship your RV to Europe, is that a thing that you could do? I'm sure you can because you can kind of do everything these days, but like, (laughs) fair. I don't know. (laughs) Like, I feel like it's not cost efficient. I feel like you could just get a more fuel efficient Winnebago in like Europe because they have better standards. Right. I feel, but you're not going to get like those big American RVs in Europe. Yeah. I feel like those don't exist there. It's like the smaller, like camper van kind of vibe, which I kind of think is cooler. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that was RV know. talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that note, a sincere congratulations <laughs> to Connor on, on his editorial reign of terror. Uh, another yeah. follow-up. Do you plan on, as a second semester senior, being like a productive, like soaking up the last few minutes of its senior or more of like a menace to society type second semester senior well, in I your involvement with the daily? I do have Sports Monday columns every other week, and, and I'll be writing, hopefully, for, for THN's NCAA site. Um, so I'll be pretty busy. But in terms of, like, going to the daily, I'll probably be a menace because my freshman year was on Zoom. So I have a lot of immaturity and shenanigans <laughs> to catch up on. Um, so I will be in, in, engaging in some, some, I don't know, annoying behavior. No, I'm, I wouldn't say annoying. I'm, I wouldn't rule that out might be, from you. It might be annoying. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Hey. All right. We'll get up to shenanigans, but excellent and minor mischief. Well, on that note, let's pivot into a little Red Wings talk here. We've got a packed show today. We've got uh, three Red Wing games to talk about. We're going to talk some college hockey. We're going to talk some World Junior. Um, So we'll be all over the map here. But to get started, let's do our traditional review of the week that was in Red Wing games. Um, We talked last week about how the theme of the week was kind of a need for consistency, greater consistency. Unfortunately, the theme of this week was blown leads, uh, some of which did not end up biting the Red Wings, but some of them, or specifically one of them, did. That was last night against the San Jose Sharks. Um, So in the last week, since we last recorded, had a 5-4 overtime win uh, in Montreal. Um, And I'm just now realizing that we also recorded Thursday last week, so we've skipped the win over the Blackhawks. Um, Mm. I I have skipped the win over the Blackhawks, I could say. Uh, Can cover that quickly. Uh, It was a weird game in that the Red Wings didn't play very well, and yet they also just cruised one easily. Um, the kind of thing that would not seem possible for this Red Wing team in any time in the last couple of years to feel as though they weren't on top of their game and still got a 5-1 win. Um, so that was uh, maybe a precursor in some ways with some of the kind of looseness of play there to what 
followed it with um the these blown leads which again that was the theme that started on saturday night in montreal the red wings led 3-0 they went into the third up 4-2 but they give up two goals against jake wallman saves the day in overtime just 54 seconds in um but it was we talked about Vili huso kind of recovering his form of late and playing some of his best hockey in recent games that trend has unfortunately gone back the other way a little bit he stopped 26 of 30 shots against Montreal wasn't really the case that he gave up the kind of soft goal that we've talked about being a problem for him but it was more that like of the four there's no egregious one but you kind of like at least one of them to be a save uh to keep that game a little under a little bit more under control uh Connor did you have a thought on either that Chicago win or the the Montreal one on Saturday um, I feel like both opponents, you know, are going to be toward the, the bottom tier of their division. Um, they're, they're opponents that you absolutely have to beat. If you're, if you're Detroit, you can't really afford to lose those points in, in a stacked division. So it was good to see them win them. Um, it was also cool to see a, a game against Connor Bedard, um, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, especially for the whole like Connor visibility of, of, of C-O-N-N-O-R, um, you know. We're, mm-hmm. we're an endangered species of sort. There's a lot of ERs that, frankly, you know, it is imposters. Yeah. Imposters. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The Irish spelling OR um, was very nice to see a, a number one overall pick and then to see him play uh, at LCA, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. yeah last super, Thursday. Super, super cool for the sport. And obviously, the Red Wings were going to win that game. So they did. Um, and, and yeah, the, 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 the Montreal game, I feel like, okay, as much as there's an OT, like they're not, they're not in the boat that Chicago is. They're, they're a team that still has some, some talent. Um, and yeah, you know, sometimes you're, you're, you're going to have tighter games. It's almost good for them. I feel like to win an OT because it is a little bit of pressure and considering that they kind of have floundered in previous overtimes and what they're, they were 0 three at the time. Um, no, excuse me. One and three at the time before that game. Um, so it's, you know, winning those games is important. Being able to win under pressure is important when things are kind of square toward the end and you're tired. Um, so, I'd, yeah, they, they want them. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all you can do. Yeah. Um, on Bedard quickly, I do. I agree with you that he was here in the preseason, but obviously it's cooler to see him in an actual game. I think you it's clear that he still has some things to figure out as far as like getting to areas where he should actually be shooting from as opposed to just mm-hmm. like firing everything. Um, and it's obviously not a flattering environment to be playing with the 2023-24 Chicago Blackhawks. But yeah. I do feel like the second he's gotten into the league, he's one of maybe the 10 best puck handlers in the NHL already at um, approximating there. But the the stick handling and a little bit of the playmaking, just the the stuff that he's able to do with the puck on his stick, I think is already incredibly impressive, even as uh, and he's scoring a fair bit as well, which is so that's not to say that he's like not producing and it's all kind of flash, but just that I, I really do think immediately he is one of the best stick handlers in the league. And and the shot is obviously really good, too. But I think he's still figuring out a little more how to kind of leverage that. Yeah. Um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say he's also 18. Like, yeah, <laughs> he can't he can't even buy beer yet. So like. The fact that he's been able to just play in the league is is, is impressive, and, and we've seen that with Adam Fantilli in, in Columbus as well. And I think he just had a three point night last night, mm-hmm. but not not you know the Michigan viewers will appreciate that. But um, at the same time, it's like it's something the Red Wings kind of ran into with their prospects as well, where they expect guys to come in and be instantly dominant. Uh, they expect a guy like Simon Edvinson to follow the most cider path, and after one year in North America, make the jump and, and be elite. You know. Uh, Michael Rasmussen maybe a little bit different because like, his draft position might have been a little odd for the the skill level he's brought, but it, it that's the draft. There's always a risk, but I, I feel like sometimes the prospects are immediately expected to be top contributors. And with Bedard, it's a little different being a number one, um, but you still have to put things in context and, and realize what what life changes and 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 what maturity level some of the players are at. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, I, I think that is always a a worthwhile thing for us to return to or like force ourselves to remember is just how weird it is. And for Bedard, the fact that he is, you know, a slight guy for an Mm -hmm. NHL player, I think that certainly has to be a factor there too. 
Um, to circle back to Montreal, I agree with you that like I I don't think there's a ton of concern ultimately with like yes you don't want to blow a lead like that but the fact that you win I think it also giving uh Montreal a point for the overtime loss like ultimately Montreal is not realistically a team you're competing with for a playoff spot so that feels a little easier to swallow than if it had yeah. been against say uh the Leafs or Florida or somebody who you expect to be in that mix um but yeah uh not a kind of 60 minute dominant performance by any means and your point about the expectations around how young players can contribute straight away I think is actually a pretty good segue into the Buffalo game um, which was a 5-3 win for the Red Wings in Buffalo Uh, but again got out to a 4-0 lead goals from Dylan Larkin, Robbie Fabry, Mo Sider and Michael Rasmussen but then it ends up at 4-3 midway through the third uh, with three relatively quick Sabres goals Um, the Sabres made they ended up with a six on four after Jake Wallman took a late uh, high sticking minor and had a very good chance to tie this game. But Detroit did quite well in that six on four. Mo Sider had a big shot block. Ben Sherratt had a big shot block. And then Dylan Larkin seals it uh, with an empty netter. It was by the metrics, Alex Lyon's worst start as a Red Wing. But I, I put worst and sort of scare quotes there he still stopped 29 of 32 shots he was just slightly underwater by goal save above expected but I think that's more of like a flaws with single game sample sizes in that stat than it is like oh Lion was poor in this game um so Hmm. the fact that 29 of 32 in a win feels like uh that wasn't the best game we've seen from Lion like that alone feels like a credit to him um Hmm. but the reason I I thought your point was kind of a segue into this game is uh we've talked about this in relation to the senators and in relation to the sabers that these are kind of natural peers for the red wings as atlantic teams coming out of the rebuild at about the same time at about the same pace um but there's very different kind of structural setups i guess in these rosters where this also applies to Ottawa, but to focus on Buffalo for now, it's a younger team. It's a team that has more of these up and coming players playing big roles, whether that's, you know, Rasmus Dahlin, who's not exactly a kid anymore, or Owen Power on the back end. You've got uh, like Zach Benson, who's just broken through, um, who kind of wasn't even expected to play in the NHL this year, but just sort of forced his way in. Um, And you compare that to the Red Wings and the Detroit is a team that, as we've talked about all year, has done much more of kind of filling voids in the bottom half of the lineup in particular with these veteran players who are more proven commodities. And it's that depth that I think in a number of ways has has given Detroit a leg up as we're seeing in the standings right now on these younger rebuilding teams that are just kind of like letting the kids play and seeing how it goes. Um, So I'm curious, Connor, like, does that trouble you as far as the potential trade-off in the short-term success now versus like what that might mean for a player like Simon Edmondson, as you mentioned, down the road? Or do you mm-hmm. think this is a kind of effective way of managing the latter stages of a rebuild? I mean, I'm always for players playing the games because you can only really learn what expectations are by being tested against those expectations. Like you can score 50 goals as a defenseman in Grand Rapids, which I don't think Edmondson ever will. But just just for 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 an example here, like you could play so well in in the AHL, and then all of a sudden you, you go to the NHL, and immediately the goalies are better, the opponents are better, people know how to kind of space themselves around the ice, people know how to make a pass and and not get it intercepted. Like you're the the stuff that maybe there's a little sloppiness in Grand Rapids or players are still working through because it's a developmental league. You're just not going to see it at the NHL level. And you're going to see a lot more. Um, I, I don't want to make it like a professionalism thing, but you're just going to see the the elite of the elite, right? The, the threshold gets higher. And so the the best training you can get for that is to play against it. And so I, I do think the Red Wings might be at a little bit of a loss of that experience, at least for players at a younger age. Um, but I also think, and this has kind of been Steve Eisenman's MO throughout the entire tenure, and even in Tampa, um, is is for players to earn that spot, to, for for no spots to be gifted, for players to go out there and kind of take someone's job, for lack of a better um, better term. Like, And they haven't done it yet, so they're obviously not ready, um, or at least in the eyes of Detroit's front office, they're not ready. Um, and, and at the end of the day, that's who's paying them uh, and, and making that roster decision. So um, I... 
there is a loss, yes, but I, I think it's a it's one that the wings are, are to your point, willing to willing to take if it means they're gonna win right now. And it, it doesn't doesn't mean that they're not going to to be able to call those players up in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's well said. And I I also sometimes feel as though we it's easy to <clears throat> excuse me, it's easy to advocate for a rebuild for a team that was kind of in Detroit's situation of like, we haven't had things together for a long time. We need to kind of reset the deck and like lose for a little bit and accrue Mm -hmm. some of these future assets and let them develop slowly. And you're going to lose along the way. And obviously that's a familiar tactic across sports at this point. But I, I think we sometimes overstate how, or understate, I guess, how tricky it is to pull out of the, like, we're losing phase to the, we want Mm -hmm. to be competitive phase. And I think there are, fewer examples than it might seem of teams that have done that really successfully like if you look around the nhl teams that have gone from like true tank rebuild to like really good cup contending type team like toronto has done it colorado did it in its own way although they there was more of like a back and forth there with like an initial playoff bid and then going in the wrong direction and then coming back again so it's i'm not saying that that can't be done or that it's kind of a bad approach at all just that like the formula for that is not as clear as just like we're going to lose forever and then magically Mm -hmm. we're going to start winning once these younger players come in so i do think there's there's reason to wonder about like is it good or not good for some of these prized prospects to play at 19, 20, 21 in the mm-hmm. NHL? Uh, I really don't feel as though I know the answer to that question for sure. <laughs> I would certainly think that they're going to be better NHL players faster if they get the chance to try it sooner. But that's not to necessarily say that it's going to like have some long-term impact on their career. So I think the bet that Detroit has made that like, this team is too good to be in the lottery, so why not push to be something closer to a contender, even if it's not, you know, a true Stanley Cup contender? Like, that makes a decent amount of sense to me, although I also am sympathetic to the people who I see online talking about, like, hey, I want to see Simon Edvidson. Like, I'm not convinced by what's going on at, at the back end of this decor, um, as we've talked about before. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's an argument on both sides, and I don't think this is, like, a kind of obvious error or you know stroke of genius i I think there's there's room for some nuance there yeah and and it is the the million dollar question right i mean if if we had the the right answer to that we'd be gms like we would be in the front office we would we'd be doing something something uh that that gets us a lot of money in in, in the hockey world journalism sure doesn't but um, (laughs) and we should frankly i mean we should be running a team (laughs) yeah we should What, what would our mascot be hmm Oh, come back to me on that. I'll I'll think well, about it. By the end of the by the end of the episode, <laughs> yeah. we'll we'll pitch we'll pitch we'll have uh, mascots. But no, I I think there's also the business aspect. Again, GM. Um, there's also the business aspect of you have to have the talent to fill seats. You have to be competitive enough to fill seats. And for a team like Detroit, that at the 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 depths of the rebuild in the in the dark ages, it, it was brutal to look at LCA. Um, any broadcast, there was a lot of bleacher seats open. Um, or not bleacher seats. What are the well fold down seats? What are they just eh, seats? Fold down. I, I guess I can just call them seats. <laughs> yeah, know, seats work. Complicate things, but no, it, there there were a lot of empty seats. Um, not a lot of people in them, and it was always something. Whenever I'd watch a game, my dad would comment on because it wasn't like that at, at at Joe Luce Arena at the the Red Wings prime. Um, and so he'd always be like, back in my day, it's like, okay, Dad, I'm 15, like, or not because I was like 17 at the time at the at the, the <laughs> real bottom of the rebuild 2019, but. Um, no, you have to, you have to have a competitive enough team to draw people in. I think that's a, and a part that some of the people that call for a tank don't necessarily see, um, cause they're not the one writing the checks and, and they're not the ones who have to make these financial decisions. But in the end, um, that creates such a burden for the owners and, and whoever's part of that management group, um, that they kind of have to deal with and, and figure out a solution. So you can only really tank for so long, um, before you have to sort of, flip that switch and, and try to win so maybe even if the talent isn't there so to speak and, and you're using a lot of replacement players and, and depth players in the bottom um you kind of just have to bank it and say all right let's let's do this and see see what noise we can make and at the very least make some money doing it mm-hmm. yeah and with that like financial side to it i think that it's not crazy to also 
track that onto like the long-term success of your team on the ice Mm -hmm. as well, where like we've seen, I I hate to kind of kick the Sabres while they're down, but that's an organization that uh, undeniably has had a culture of losing for like a decade, if not more. And, and that like that happened. I mean, you look at the Eichel era in Buffalo, which obviously a very ugly ending, uh, especially from the Sabres perspective with the way they kind of like used his neck injury as leverage. But overall, the fact that they never seemed able to make that transition that we're talking about of like, now we want to be good. What does that look like? And when you're a team that has been like bad on purpose for a really long time, I don't think you can just kind of flip a switch and be like, yes, we're going to start winning now. Like you need the kind of David Perron type figure in the locker room whom we talked about last week, who's going to be pushing like, Hey, we, we have expectations here, even as there aren't like legitimate or reasonable championship expectations. Like we care about winning. We want to be moving in the right direction. And to your point, that's also tied to fan interest as well, where I, you know, based on the kind of temperature check I was taking over the summer on like Red Wings Twitter, I think there was a fair amount of, of, impatience is maybe a little strong but like people were ready to start seeing some results of of what has been a long-term rebuild under Iserman so there I don't think his you know job was under pressure by any means but uh, there was a little bit of like hey let's let's start seeing this on the ice and and I think for obviously this is a market with you know super ravenous fans of long tradition of that but at the end of the day, nobody wants to go watch a team win 20 games in a season, 25 games in a season. And, you know, you look at the the Red Wings kind of co-occupants of LCA, the Pistons, who did not win a month, excuse me, did not win a game in the month of November. Like those crowds are meager right now. Um, They're probably that, not going to win one in December either. Yeah, it's not looking good. That too. <laughs> <laughs> it's not looking good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it's again, kind of like what I was saying about the Sabres, like an organization that just hasn't really won anything for a long time. I think even as you bring in players who you feel good about, it's hard to like put that together to actually winning games if you have kind of no standing of doing that. And and if you've even been kind of sort of losing them on purpose for, for some time too. Yeah. Um. So then last night, a 6-5 overtime loss to the Sharks. I think this was another one that elicited a lot of negativity that I saw online. I think a lot of that goes back to, I mean, to be, the Sharks start to the year. They go 0-10 to start the season in the ninth and 10th games of that run. They give up 10 goals in both of them. Um, but they actually have a winning record in the like 15-ish games since then. Um, and I think it maybe some of that like poor start stuck with them to the point that people are like, oh my God, it's unacceptable to lose to the Sharks. And I, I understand that perspective, but ultimately like this is a team that was playing reasonably well, even if it's again, not a cup contender, probably not even a playoff contender and a lineup that you would not feel very good about losing. Um, This was one of the, I mean, the second period, specifically the second half of the second period was Maybe the most chaotic hockey, I think I would say it was definitely the most chaotic hockey that I've ever seen as far as a regular season game goes. You had a total of eight goals in 10 minutes and 32 seconds. It starts with a Red Wings goal from Clem Coston. Then you get three more Red Wings goals to make it 4 nothing in just 49 seconds. And Mark Edward Vlasic is called for um, unsportsmanlike conduct, a minor, at, after that fourth goal. So Detroit is up for nothing, going to the power play, and you're like, okay, this game's over. Um, instead, uh, San Jose scores two shorthanded, and then a third right after the power play expires. That's three goals in 142 in total, and the six of those goals were scored in three minutes and one second. That makes it four to three Detroit. Nico Sturm ties the game in the last minute of the second. Detroit goes up again, five, four on a Dylan Larkin goal in the third. Then uh, Tomas Hurdle ties it up in, in the six on five at the end of the game. And the Sharks get the OT winner. Uh, just, I believe it was 37 seconds into overtime. So a super chaotic game, a game where Detroit did not play well by any means. Um, Derek Lalonde said after the game that he thought the team was, quote, lazy and casual away from the puck, which I I think it's 
hard to argue with. I mean, the Sharks played the game that Detroit wants to as far as like simple, heavy forecheck, forcing turnovers, creating a little bit off the rush, creating some stuff off the forecheck um, and and putting the Red Wings under pressure for, I think, long stretches of this game. Uh, so it certainly felt like the better team won, even as Detroit blew a couple of big leads or like really one big lead and then a second smaller lead. Uh, Connor, what were your takeaways from this loss? I think so with Montreal, lose a lead. All right, whatever. It happens. Buffalo, it's like, hmm, it's not a great trend to see. And then mm-hmm. when you see it against a team like the Sharks, where there, there's obviously a talent difference between the two teams, and where, whereas like, okay, Montreal is like rebuilding, but they still have some dogs. Buffalo's in a very similar spot. The Sharks are, are like, you mentioned the start of the season. You look at their lineup, who they're playing. They're kind of trying to throw. They have prospects up and down the lineup. Um, they they have a, a lot of players who are are sort of just getting their feet their maybe not their feet wet. They have some players who've been around like Sutherland, but um, a lot of younger players, right? And and those are teams that you kind of have to take advantage of that. And so seeing that lead get blown like that, and 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 just the frenetic pace of of play, um, and or not so much the pay, but this play, but the scoring. Geez, can't talk. Um, <laughs> but with the scoring, um, I, like. It, it, it's one of those things where you see that the collapse happen and, and you kind of have to know how to stop it. Um, and I think that's sort of the, the runaway train effect that the, the Red Wings are, are running into. Like they got to put the brakes in um, and, and, and get those games under control. Um, it is an unfortunate ending to the game, right? In overtime where, where Larkin kind of blows a tire and uh, I forget who scored the game winner. Who was. Um, it was, I believe was it Sturm again Sturm? from Zetterland. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought thought that was. Um I don't know. It it is a you get a point out of it and and it is a home loss that that's unfortunate, but um I think the bigger issue is that it's just the continued trend of the, the past three games where Sorry, it was Mikhail Granlin, not Sturm for the uh overtime winner. Okay. But I thought it was Sturm. Never mind. Um <laughs> e- either way, um like y- you can't when there's a, a trend like that and, and you lose three straight off, off or not lose, lose three straight leads. Jeez. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. Um, when you lose Easy three for straight you leads, to say, I know exactly. <laughs> um, when you lose three straight games and dude, I said it again. All right. When you lose <laughs> three straight leads, there we go. It's like a familiar phrase that you just muscle memory go to. But w- when you do that um, and there's that sort of consistent, like, it's not like an Achilles heel because they didn't lose him, but at the same time, it's sort of like this big flaw. You, you got to learn how to address it and to go back to that train metaphor, put the brakes on, but I'll, mm-hmm. I'll stop talking now because apparently <laughs> I can't anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, David Perron actually in the post-game presser made almost that exact point about like that, the first Sharks goal, which again was shorthanded. It was just way too casual by the Red Wings power play of these kind of like this hope type passing off an entry that it's a turnover at the offensive blue line goes the other way. It's kind of an easy goal. And Perron made the point that like, okay, once we give up that one, there has to be a moment of like, all right, deep breath, reset it. We're going to be real simple, real kind of deliberate with our process on these next couple breakouts to make sure that this doesn't turn into a run the way that it did in Buffalo or the way that it did in Montreal. Mm -hmm. And then Detroit can't do that and like can't get those breaks uh put on as you said which to some extent i think the fact that this is such a chaotic game i i think makes it a little easier to kind of silo it as like that was weird let's move on but then to your point blown leads in three straight games you can't entirely say that this is an isolated incident when it's been a problem a number of times in a row and again with Vili huso like none of these six goals are egregious i think at least like the uh, equalizer from hurdle, there was nothing he could do. The Granlin's winner is a two on O and three on three, like hard to blame the goalie for that. And yet when you look at the other four, you'd kind of like him to stop at least one of them, even as none of them are like a terrible goal to give up. Um, so it's a loss that, that I think feels bad. And, and that trend of blowing these leads, it, as you said, it obviously not something to be, happy about um no jt comfort in this game which i think did make a difference here and maybe uh obviously the the thing that we've kind of neglected here is that it was patrick kane's debut as a red wing which maybe we can get to in a second but yeah overall like 
just not an encouraging performance, even as I, I think this Sharks team is not like kind of the the meme team that we they looked like for for the first 10 games of the season. So, yeah, yeah a, a disappointing performance for sure. And and blowing leads like that. I said it right that time. Blowing yeah, leads like that. Um, I feel like it's always attributed to the younger teams too. like it's always like I don't know if it's a coach speak thing or if it's just like lazy analysis but it's usually thrown at at sort of these younger teams when when they blow leads like that um but but when it's a a team that maybe doesn't have all the game experience but certainly has older players in the locker room and and kind of these players who have been around um the league for so long and that I think a lot of the players who were signed the past two off seasons are examples of that like when you have this sort of familiarity with NHL play and, and you're experienced and again this goes back to like reasons why to play the, the prospects or not play the prospects like the understanding is that you know how to sort of deal with what you're going to see and and deal with maybe the the, the runs um that, that might go against you and, and being able to counter them um and and so not seeing the result of that payoff also kind of is a head scratcher of like okay where where is this going wrong um and, and to your point of what Derek Lalonde and, and David Perron kind of mentioned where it's like kind of resetting and, and and he said playing lazy away from from the puck like you got to focus up you got to be able to 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 play well especially when you're an understood older team compared to what what you could be and sort of the decisions that have been made to, to put you in that position mm-hmm. yeah and Lalonde had also talked in in recent games or after recent games about like hey we need to be more mature which I think is mm-hmm. to your point like kind of an odd thing for that to be an issue with this team when all year long we've talked about like this is a veteran group that is mm-hmm. not relying on the on those young guys the way a team like Buffalo is and by and large I, I think we've seen that's been beneficial for them and yet we have these moments like last night where the the kind of uh the train starts running off the tracks to again return to our train metaphor and and there's yeah. no uh no one there to to get it back on the rails mm-hmm. um so yeah a, a disappointing result uh, again like i'm not so negative about it as some of the people i i saw online last night where it seemed like all of the progress that the team has made like went out the window with this one loss like i found that to be a very odd reaction to what did seem like a pretty unusual game but Certainly not a a performance to write home about. All right, so we sort of alluded to this as we were actually talking about the Sharks game, but obviously the the biggest story of that game was the fact that it was Patrick Kane's Red Wings debut. Um, We talked about last week some of our kind of skepticism or reservations around Kane signing some of it to do with his kind of personal history some of it to do with just what felt like the very long odds of of making this work after the injury that he's had um he was a minus one he played about 16 minutes he had a couple shots um that that minus one rating obviously is like the the metrics are not giving you anything to be like oh this was a very exciting Patrick Kane performance and yet I I think in general it felt like he was better than expectations in that first game uh, Lalonde talked about how he ended up kind of they played him more than they had planned on just because he was feeling good he was playing reasonably well and you know he was creating so they wanted to keep giving him those minutes Connor what were your biggest impressions of of Kane's first game as a Red Wing um well the near goal was certainly exciting mm-hmm. um I, I I think seeing him with I, I believe he was with Larkin and, and to break it for the majority of the game if not all um for for five on five right or did he um so he played mostly with Valeno and to it but then they had him with Larkin okay. like after power plays in particular they would like throw out that kind of hotline okay. I think they ended up the he to bring it and Larkin ended up playing like three, four minutes at five on five and Valeno was more like gotcha. eight, nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. Um, I, yeah, I, I feel like there's always that expectation that he's going to be super elite. Like that, that's kind of the comparison you're going to hold him to because he's done that in the past. He's this dominant player and like anything that's not super shark talent is always going to be a bit of a, maybe not a letdown, but it's not going to feel like Patrick Kane. Um, but I thought he certainly played well. Um, and, and the near goal is certainly exciting. Uh, Max Baldwin actually put out a pretty good piece. I, I was reading during the break um, for the behind the scenes, for those mm-hmm. of you who don't know how the show is made, we do two Zooms. Um, so we don't have to pay Zoom any money. Um, 
So don't tell corporate that. But <laughs> um, during that downtime, I was reading that and, and very, very good analysis of um, sort of the the play in the debut game, right? Like, because um, I feel like shift by shift, some things can get lost and it's a pretty, pretty good read um, if people are, are interested mm-hmm. in that. I don't know if we want to plug other people's content, but I'm more than happy to do that. I think we Max can make an great. exception for Max. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you as far as um, that, that like kind of shift in shift out, it didn't necessarily show up in any like traditional metrics, but you could see that like the kind of creativity and the playmaking with Kane, like there definitely were signs of rust, right? There were moments where like the timing just wasn't there on a give and go, or he sends a pass to the wrong side for Michael Rasmussen at one point on what could have been a pretty decent chance but he also did a lot of kind of Patrick Kane things that you want to see of like orchestrating these passing sequences that would extend the wings time in the offensive zone he's you know creating I think maybe the most encouraging thing that I saw was him like winning back a number of pucks defensively Um, Mm -hmm. he you know taking getting a takeaway in the neutral zone and turning that into a chance or like be coming in fast on the forecheck. That's, you know, not something you think about when you think Patrick Kane, but he did a little bit of that and and he made that work. And you could still mm-hmm. in the kind of chemistry and symmetry between DeBrinket and Kane, I think you could see a little bit of like, they aren't going to play in the exact style that the Red Wings want to play, which I think is a kind of interesting dynamic moving forward where they are more kind of looping and willing to reverse play take the puck backward in a way that like Derek Lalonde will always talk about we want to go north we want to go north we want to go north that's not really Kane's thing and it's not necessarily Debrinkit's either especially it seems being paired with Kane so I think a like longer term question is about whether Kane stylistic whether he can produce enough to justify him kind of existing not quite within the present style that the Red Wings want to play because I think if he's not scoring it is fair to wonder like is he better than a kind of Austin Zarnick type even in a depth role where like of course Patrick Kane is a better higher upside player than Austin Zarnick but if he can't produce at that level maybe it is better to have a Zarnick to have a Clem Coston or even like a Daniel Sprong slightly different profile maybe more similar to Kane but like in a kind of light we're going to get some scoring from him, but not too much. But yeah, the, even with those signs of rust and those kind of longer term questions, I think that you it was hard not to be impressed with the way that Kane kind of fit into what was going on and, and didn't look like a guy who had not skated in six months playing with a bunch of guys who were in the middle of a season. Yeah, and I, I thought like his puck skills were, were there too. And I feel like that's a really hard skill to retain when you're not in live reps. Obviously not a, an NHL player or anything, but I know that's that's something that, is so muscle memory based and so repetition based. And so when you go a while where with hip resurfacing, okay, maybe he can't be on the ice all the time. He's not able to do that. And I don't know if he had a, you know, sitting on his couch or something, if he's got a stick next to him, stick handling, I'm I'm sure. But <laughs> at the same point, like, you know, coming back from, from a surgery injury, whatever, you know, medical um, situation like that to, to keep those sort of high end skills is, is impressive to me. Um, as much as it might not seem like a big deal um, at the end, like those are skills that unlock so much of his talent and, and his ability to make plays. If that's rusty, like forget about being able to see, see the play develop and make something happen. Um, and, and regardless of style, like um, would, would, would certainly make him a lot worse <laughs> as a, as a player and maybe even make it where you would want, like, like you mentioned Zarnik to, to come in the lineup. Um, and while there are stylistic differences, right. It is one game. Um, that could change over time. I, I don't know if it will because it is Patrick Kane and he's the superstar. But I, I do think adaptation is critical at that age and, and, and situation when you don't have all those sort of elite, you know, skills that 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 made you so successful at, at the peak. Um, players figuring it out toward the end of their careers is always important um, and, and how to still be a contributor. So I'd, I'm curious to see how he sort of imagines his role and, and, and really uh, builds from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. And I would also add, like, at the risk of kind of playing amateur psychologist here, I think in, in listening to Kane speak over the last week or so, there is a sort of like humility about him or like a willingness to kind of 
a desire to like keep expectations within reason for himself as far as i i think you can detect just a little bit of like a sense that it didn't go the way that he wanted to with the rangers last year um and and that he there were kind of takeaways from that for him of like hey i i it can't go i don't want it to go that way again and obviously his health is is a major variable there and that he feels as though he's in a better position to succeed now than he was last year because of um his mobility with, with based on this hip surgery but still i i think he there's a kind of pride there in in wanting this to go better than it did with that first move away from the blackhawks last year um so i think that is kind of to his credit as far as a, a desire to like make this work within the Red Wing structure and, and something that probably does bode well on that front. So yeah, um, an encouraging debut, I think by and large, given those like expectations and, and the, the difficulty of doing what he's done again, I think you, it can't be overstated. Like no preseason hasn't played in six months mm-hmm. going up against people who are in, you know, maybe not, like peak playoff hockey mode, but still mid-season, mid-season form, form for the rest of these guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we jumped on the same cliche. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, yeah. So, so to be able to do that on night one and to kind of earn more minutes. And of course, now there's the question of like, how did he feel this morning after playing that first game right. and like taking that contact? What does it look like on the right. second night of a back-to-back somewhere down the road? But as far as that, that kind of first test, I, I think it's hard to say it was anything but a, an impressive performance from him. Yeah. And that's why I say like, it's, it's one game. And, and while he might still bring a little bit of, I don't know, extra flavor to the, to the lineup, you know met- metaphorical flavor like um I, I i don't know i i think some of that'll get coached out right with familiarity i think over over time as he maybe wears down a little bit maybe as he gets more familiar with what the the red wings do um and and, and what identity that Derek Lalonde wants him to play as um i do think there will be changes but it's also patrick kane you're also going to let him kind of mm-hmm. i don't want to say like take over or anything because like you never want one player to sort of take over a locker room or take over on the ice or do anything like that you want it to be this team building you know connection um but at the same time it he's such a a talented player and so experienced that you almost want him to and to get that confidence and to get that ability um that that mental ability back um to to like go out and get it and go out and 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 hunt and chase and and do everything that made him such an elite player um you almost want him to rekindle that a little bit by going out there and being him yeah it's funny that you use that phrase because he used almost the exact same one yesterday um of talking about Mm. like it his body generally felt good but there's a sense of like wanting to get his timing a little bit sharper than it had been and and he Mm -hmm. actually said like i want it to feel as though i'm able to like take the game over temporarily when the puck is on my stick because that's like the way he perceives himself as a player at the end of the day uh when he is on his game and there was also uh the red wings were on espn on tuesday for that uh sabers game and he did it gave an interview to emily kaplan at an intermission where he talked about she asked him like do you still perceive yourself as one of the best players in the league and he was like well yeah if i'm healthy like i'm one of the best players in the league still and he kind of talked about like i don't think i was last year because of health issues but if you go back to two years ago i i think i was and i think that i can can get back to that place this year um so i think there there definitely is an element of like he he wants to be that i mean people have been breaking out that kind of showtime nickname that has kind of followed him around because of those clutch performances with the blackhawks um and and you know we we didn't see like a full-on showtime performance last night but there were definitely moments where you can see like hey this guy is special in in the way that in what he can do with the puck and the way that he can change the entire game, the pace of the game and make everything revolve around him when he's on the ice and, and it's working. So to see glimpses of that is encouraging, even if obviously he can't answer questions about its sustainability in just one night. <laughs> All right. Um, to go in a different direction, I, I think a, another question that we've kind of asked before on this podcast that, you know, maybe we've been close to asking it for two or three episodes in a row at this point. But based on the last week, have do you think that Alex Lyon has has overtaken Vili Huso as the Red Wings number one goaltender? 
I mean, we've seen the the tandem go back and forth um, that we'd kind of talked about that that came true. Um, you heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> I it's so hard for me to make that that claim. I don't know because I feel like there's this like expectation that Billy Husso is going to eventually get back what he had going for him two two years ago, um, and and even for parts last season as well. But like, it's sort of that. It's not like Patrick Kane in the sense that like Kane was induced by by injury, um, where he, he can't really reach that sort of form that that made him his money, that made him so so good. Philly Huso's not a Hall of Famer, not the the greatest, one of the best players ever, but at the same time, like he has this sort of level he can get to that he just hasn't tapped into as much this season. I feel like that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and so kind of seeing him struggle, um against that and having that play into the expectations what he can do like i don't know he's i feel like him being played there's always that that wanting more that wanting that dominance wanting that um ability to even compensate for some mistakes through through his play i mean you mentioned like uh one of the games where maybe the goals weren't particularly bad but you still want him to get one of them you still want him to make a save on on that puck like that's sort of the the huso that people want to see um that, that the red wings certainly want to see um, any team would, but um, him sort of getting there is always going to be, I feel like, what they're chasing. Um, and and so even if Lyon does play better, I think they're still going to keep playing Huso in just that desperate hope that maybe he'll get it back, maybe he'll be that guy. Um, and and Lyon's no slouch either, so I don't think they're gonna they're they're gonna be too mad with having to do a tandem at all. I think it's more so just what they would risk Huso um, struggling with in those games than anything Lyon would do. Yeah, and I, I think you're exactly right that it with Huso, it's the consistency that seems to be the issue. And mm-hmm. sometimes we've seen that show up kind of within an individual game where with where you get like mostly pretty good. I mean, that Sharks game, I think, is a good example of Huso was genuinely really good in the first period to, to keep the Red Wings mm-hmm. in a game that they probably should have been losing based on the way that they played in those first 20 minutes. And yet over the course of the game, it he doesn't necessarily maintain that or sometimes we've seen it as an issue across starts where we were talking about last week his his starts against the Bruins and the Rangers he he was really sharp and then these last two against Montreal um and then last night in against the Sharks it it is not at that same level and so it's hard I think to uh Derek Lalonde himself really push back against the idea of like hey it's just a rotation now like he kind of talked about it as though it's like this is st- still Huso's net. And yet he's also said like, and Lion's going to start playing a little more. Like we, Lion has clearly made an impression that suggests he deserves more minutes. It's been basically a straight rotation since the Sweden mm-hmm. trip, uh, even as Lalonde said that it has not been, uh, or that that's not like the way he's thinking about it right yeah, now. They've... Go ahead. Uh, so it it's hard to say that, Lion is not the guy who deserves to be playing more right now. And so, again, I, I don't think it's something where you have to say, like, Lion is now the starter for every game for the rest of the season, which obviously that it's unrealistic in the first place. It's like you're still going to need a backup to play sometimes. But uh, you're not it's not as though you have to be making this kind of like interminable commitment to Lion. But realistically, you haven't actually made an especially long-term commitment to Vili Huso. And so the idea that like if Lion is the better goaltender, he's got to be the guy playing. And right now, he's the better goaltender. So it feels as though he should be getting maybe closer to that like two-thirds workload as opposed to, you know, one-third. I mean, he goes from not playing at all to getting this kind of emergency start and now doing a kind of 50-50 thing. It feels as though he, at the very least, deserves the majority of the starts right now. Yeah, and that's where it's a bias thing, too, of like, I mean, anyone when looking at the wings knows, okay, Alex Lyon is not supposed to be the starter. And so when he does play that well, regardless of the, the quality of his play, when he does make those starts, like, or, or takes over, like, there's, there's always that sort of hesitation of like, whoa, like, why why is he doing this? What's happening with Huso? Like, even if they're not abandoning him, quote unquote, like, even if they're going to keep Huso around and, and, and sort of get him to the quality he needs to retake that net because as, as they say it's his even if they've, they've tandem to their last eight games um like at the same time it's it's just that like 
that assessment where Alex Lyon shouldn't be this starter in, in, in an ideal world. And so the, the wings and especially fans watching want to reach that ideal. They want to reach that sort of tippy top. Um, and so there's always going to be a problem with, with Lyon kind of, uh, getting more starts, right? He was, he was doomed from the start in, in, in those expectations, um, where he's that third goalie, he's not supposed to do that. Um, and, and in the end, he's certainly proven that he deserves it. He's taken every opportunity. He's played really well. Um, yeah, uh, and he's absolutely run with the opportunity. And and so I think it it's that sense that makes you want to see more of it, right? It's like, you know, what can he do with a little bit longer leash? And again, when when he's the guy who it feels like is is a little sharper right now, it it's hard to argue for for Kuso to be the one playing the same amount that he is just based on that mm-hmm. um current form. Cool. All right. Um one more quick Red Wings topic before we move on to some NCAA stuff here. Uh I think we noted JT Comfort did not play last night. And uh, not to say that all of the Red Wings defensive issues yesterday fell on Comfort being absent, but he's a guy who I think has been really good all year, but excellent in these last couple weeks as, as Detroit has been uh, kind of heating up again after the Sweden trip. Uh, he's got 19 points on the season in 24 games, six goals, three assists. Um, he's a, a plus seven right now. He's he's doing a little bit of everything. He was excellent in that Chicago game last week, even as, as Detroit wasn't especially sharp. Connor, where have you seen the kind of biggest impacts from Confer so far? Hmm. I think the biggest impact is not so much anything he's doing, but what other players also don't have to do. Um, when you have a guy like Comfort, a, a guy like Larkin can can go out um, due to a really unfortunate personal matter. Um, and, and and you don't really like miss a beat um, with, with Comfort taking on sort of a larger role. Um, you see him providing a lot of scoring down the, down deeper in the lineup than, than just a first liner would. Um, and I feel like that was always a problem with the wings in recent years. Like if you look back at even the Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha line um, a few years back, like, it's sort of this one line driven team. And then last year it felt like um, with, with Larkin Perron and, and Raymond at times, like that was the only thing they had going. And so with Comfort, they've had sort of that um, support. I don't want to call it like secondary scoring. Cause I think Comfort is expected to do that. Right. And it's like, it's different than maybe college hockey where like, okay, the first couple lines are going to be really good. And then you see what you get out of the third and fourth, like the, the NHL, you want to see every line scoring. You want to see that. Um, and, and so with Comfort, um, I, I just feel like he's been sort of that um, maybe number two that maybe a guy like Andrew Cobb was expected to be um, the season before and, and it really didn't get there. Um, Comfort certainly is, has played well enough to sort of stake a claim to that um, and, and, and has really, really helped the Wings in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, his kind of versatility and reliability, I think, has just opened up so many more options, right? For a guy like Cobb mm-hmm. or like Joe Valeno, like maybe you want to use them as centers, yeah. maybe you want to use them as the wing, maybe you want to put Cobb with uh, Comfort, maybe you want Comfort running mm-hmm. his own line and Cobb doing the same. Like it just opens up so much more. And I think for me, maybe the biggest surprise with Comfort has been some of his passing, like coming over from Colorado, kind of knew he was a great skater, knew he was this very reliable defensive player. And obviously we'd seen him do that in a Stanley Cup final against the Tampa Bay Lightning. So clearly a guy who is, is capable of being a key player on a championship caliber team, even if he wasn't necessary. I mean, he was the third center there behind McKinnon and Kadri, but still a, a guy who played a major role, played crucial minutes in a playoff run um but i think i didn't quite appreciate how good of a passer he was and you you see it in all three zones with like his ability to get the puck to safety from his own end you see it with the kind of work he can do on setting guys up with zone entries in the neutral zone and then as an actual playmaker in the offensive zone i i think he's done that really well also so just having that value kind of all over the ice. It, it's something that I didn't necessarily appreciate with Comfort. And to me, uh, he is a guy who I think there were questions of like, is this another like kind of somewhere between a two and three center, a bit like Cop, or is this a legitimate like guy we can pencil into our top six as a number two center and feel good about? And for me, through whatever it's been at this point, you know, 25 ish games, uh, it's hard to say that that Comfort has not been uh, not only a 2C, but a, a second center that you can feel good about. Um, 
whether that's from a matchup perspective or with him chipping in some offense, because we've seen him do both. Um, so I think that's one where like the bet that Detroit made on him has already looks like a good one. Yeah. And, and I feel like too, there's always that sort of, I don't want to call it like a stigma around him, but like there was the understanding that maybe he wasn't going to be, um, you know, a, a, a true like two C right. Like, Oh, he's always been the third center you know, maybe he's not cut out for this. Maybe this isn't, um, maybe there's going to be some sort of uh, drawbacks or like he's going to struggle with this. And I really haven't seen that this season. Um, and I, I think it just goes to like, okay, you're playing behind two two of the best at the time, two of the best centers you're going to find in, in, in um, you know, maybe like top 30 or something, top 40. Mm. Um, obviously not like they're not number one and two. That's Dreisaitl and McDavid. Um, but it's like you're you're playing behind two really talented players. You're never going to have sort of the opportunities to show that um, unless there's like injuries, unless people are banged up, unless there's some sort of other circumstance that that you can sort of take advantage of. And and so I I, I think a lot of that conversation, and, and certainly I bought into it too, of like, maybe hesitations around what he could do um, was wrong. And, 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 and he's really, really proven that he's a, a talented to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if anything, it's almost been the opposite of like, is he kind of overcast as, as a second center? It's been more like the more we mm-hmm. see of Comfort, the better he looks. Like you mentioned with Larkin yeah. out um, earlier in the week, Comfort fills in and like we see more of him, and he looks even better. So I, mm-hmm. I think that too is, is really encouraging that, that he is able to, to do this at the level that the Red Wings want. All right. Um, so we'll wrap this week. Uh, I think we'll save our world junior talk for next week. Um, Connor and I will be uh, joining forces once again, covering some live hockey together uh, at team USA's world junior camp next week. Something I know we're both looking forward to out in Plymouth. Very um, much so. Um, but before we get there, we'll talk a little bit about Michigan, about Michigan state and about Western Michigan as those three teams kind of, Michigan already has wrapped up its first half. Um, State and Western will do that this weekend. Um, So to start with U of M, since last we spoke, we had talked about like both from the pairwise and I think from a kind of psychological perspective, they needed to get good results at St. Cloud. We talked about like maybe even needing a sweep. They didn't quite get to that sweep. Instead, it was uh, a win and then a shootout loss, which I think all things considered is, you know, not the exact outcome you were hoping for, but uh, overall a positive performance against the team that is currently leading the NCHC. So clearly no slouches in St. Cloud. And then last weekend, maybe the for Michigan, like the hardest fixture you could imagine to end the first half when you're dealing with a lot of injuries in having to go to Notre Dame. Um, and it's a resounding <laughs> 6-1 loss on Friday, which I think is obviously quite discouraging. But Michigan bounces back and gets a kind of much needed gritty 2-1 win on Saturday. It's an excellent Frank Nazar performance. It's, I think in some ways there were parallels to the last uh, game before the break last year where Michigan had been kind of mm-hmm. struggling a little bit. They'd lost it in East Lansing the night before. And then on the Saturday, they get this kind of hard earned gritty defensive type win at home over state to like go into that break on a high note it, at a time when they needed it. It's maybe even more needed now. Um, but it, it does feel like the biggest thing is, is just about getting healthy right now with Rucker McGroarty, mm-hmm. hopefully coming back to start the second half. Ethan Edwards supposed to do the same thing. Marcus Stappa is supposed to do the same thing. Tyler Duke has been banged up for almost all of the first half. You hope he's a little healthier, more um, fit uh, when you come back in January. So uh, Connor, how would you kind of evaluate that close to the first half for U of M? Um, there's, there's a lot of, I think the biggest sort of maybe regrets Michigan should have is it's non-conference. I think the big 10, you're always going to have some struggles. You're always going to be like, I don't want to say like a 500 team, but there's just so many really good teams in the big 10 that having a 500 record really isn't that terrible. Um, and it, it's certainly not like a, a flaw in a team that they're losing games to teams that are, are littered through the the AP poll or not AP poll, the youth show poll and, and certainly the pairwise. But um, I think the, the biggest regret is that non-conference play and not getting a sweep over a team like UMass uh, Providence has, has really been strong this season, as I predicted um, <laughs> earlier in this season. Credit not to, to you. Not to, 
not to take a victory lap on that yet because no, the we season's would never certainly not over, but they're 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 better than than expected. And so getting that with the one win um at, at home was certainly good. Um you'd like to see them get the sweep always, but I do think losing the the second game at UMass um is one they're gonna want back. And I, I think like the non conference just in terms of the pairwise does so much um having those wins. Um and it's too early too to to really bank anything on the pairwise, but Michigan right now would be on the outside looking in um because of of, of putting up <clears throat> putting an Atlantic team in there. Excuse me. Um and, and so I I think like if they have this sort of five hundred hockey in the Big Ten. <clears throat> excuse me, my, my voice is going. Um <laughs> if they have this five hundred stand in the Big Ten again and they keep this sort of pace, um and it won't be <laughs> the same sort of the, the expectations will have to change compared to last season because I think they'll just um the, the I don't think in this big time they'll be in an, an advantageous position if they don't start winning games considering what they did in their non-conference schedule um there's too many good teams there's too many teams that are going to be ranked ahead of them um that they're going to have to play in a playoff run they're going to have to do if they want to get that auto bid um so I I think that's my hesitation with them is the non-con- non-conference place, not so much the Big Ten play. So getting that Notre Dame win is a, a big boost of confidence for them, and maybe they can can string some together the second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Notre Dame, definitely that like Michigan kryptonite that we've talked about um, in the past. Uh, definitely with you as far as like just the practical pairwise ramifications of the non-conference season, like that is something that puts you at a disadvantage and, and adds more pressure to to getting it done in the Big Ten, given the importance of that. Yeah. Um I I feel like I I just totally lost my train of thought. Um, yeah. I I think as far as comparing this team to last year, you that team last year with Adam Fantilli, Luke Hughes, and then to a slightly yeah. lesser degree, Mackie Samuskevich, who obviously is not the like NHL prospect that those first two are, but as far as like where he was as a college hockey player, was it, an elite talent that I think helped exactly. paper over some flaws in a team that did not have very good depth at forward or on D and like had challenges with managing that over the course of the season, you lose all three of those guys to to the pros this year. And it, that's not to say that this is like a talent barren roster by any means. I think almost every yeah. team in the country would be like, Oh, if I could trade rosters with Michigan, I would do it. Um, but there, there are like limitations to the depth of this roster, as we've talked about because of injury troubles, that those have been kind of exacerbated in certain ways. Um, and so kind of surviving that end of the first half is, is good for Michigan, obviously, to like get through that, get some reasonably positive results with um, that win in St. Cloud and, and then that win to close it out with Notre Dame. But clearly, like there's work to be done in the second half and, and Michigan's done that before, but they'll they'll have to do it again. Um as far as state goes, they were off last weekend, but the weekend prior, they got a shootout win and then an overtime loss at Minnesota. Um, maybe like we've talked about how do they match up against kind of those top end talent teams? I think the, that that uh, series with the Gophers in in Minneapolis is a positive data point on that front, even as it's not like totally convincing. But to see them like more or less on even footing with the Gophers, I think is impressive you know, a, a better result than they'd gotten in Chestnut Hill against BC, who admittedly have looked a much better team than, than Minnesota to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're talking about, for MSU, the Big Ten leaders with eight games played, 19 points. Um, it's been uh, those transfers have, have made a huge difference uh, for for this team as far as Isaac Howard, Red Savage, um, and then uh, I'm forgetting, is it Joey Larson? Is that his first name? <laughs> Joey Larson, yeah. yeah, from Northern Michigan, uh, Savage from Miami, Howard from Minnesota Duluth, like those guys have performed. Uh, all of them have have made key key contributions offensively to this team, and and uh, Savage in particular, a great defensive player as well. Um, so the those kind of positive steps have been taken. I think we're still kind of maybe a little bit skeptical of the idea that this team can actually win the big 10. And yet with Trey Augustine looking as good as he has with Levshinov looking as good as he had has on D and, and with the the quality that we've seen from uh, the forward group, those transfers that I just named in particular, like 
this it's it's a formidable outfit. It, it's a team to be taken seriously as a, a national contender. And I think that was maybe a little bit up for debate, at least at the start of the season, about whether they could keep taking steps towards that. Yeah, and I, I think the point, too, like, I, I think they would want to have gotten a, a win that wasn't in the shootout against Minnesota uh, on the road. I think that's a good barometer of, of like, their ability to play against the, the really talented teams, um, like the the teams that are should be competing for a, a, a Frozen Four. And certainly Minnesota's had some struggles this season at the first half. Um, same thing with Michigan, same thing with some some other teams that were expected to do really well. Um, I I think that the key is just doing it consistently. And it is this sort of like second rebuilding year mm-hmm. under Adam Nightingale um, that I'd, I'd like to see them keep it going um, and, and and you get this influx of transfer talent that you talked about and, and you get some of these freshmen that are, are playing really well. Um, yeah. I, I think it, I feel like it's not like a full consistency thing. I'm trying to find a way to articulate it. It's like a repeatability thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's consistency in how you play the game. And there's also repeatability of like being able to keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it again until it's so boring and you know how every game's going to go. And like, I think that's sort of what they need to tap into. And that's that next step, because I think games have gotten a little bit um, other than the Wisconsin series, but some of the games have gotten um, sort of back and forth and maybe you Mm -hmm. don't expect the same things every night uh, from them. Um, But I I think, yeah, I think the repeatability, not consistency, repeatability is what I want to see from them. Yeah. Coined a new coach speak. I like that. And certainly that would probably apply to, to U of M as well. Um, to mm-hmm. wrap up here quickly on Western, they're coming off back-to-back sweeps um, in non-conference play with uh, one over St. Lawrence and then one over Lindenwood. Obviously not the most formidable opponents in the world there. Um, this is a team that's three and three in the NCHC so far, but with a huge series coming up this weekend with Denver, um, a real kind of like inflection point as far as whether they can like take a step against that kind of traditional NCHC top dog, um, even as it's been St. Cloud so far this year. Um, the, again, like that, the top line for Western, we've talked about it before, but it seems like that's just what they do is like they plug in guys on the top line and that top line goes every single year, um, even as they've had to turn over the roster a little bit. Um, Cameron Rowe has been really good in net. He is 6-0 and in his last six games with a 0.66 goals against average in a 971 save percentage. You're going to win a lot of games when you're getting goaltending like that. And obviously, like I said, not, not the toughest competition in the last couple of days, but uh, a impressive performance from Roe, nonetheless, uh, undeniably. Um, do you have a quick thought on on where Western is right now? Um, I, I think they're going to need to play well against Denver. Um, the NCHC, much like the Big Ten, is just so talent-laden. Um, and there's so many teams that are very similar that you're going to need those points. Um, I, I do think, like, Lindenwood scheduling them, what, what is it, four times this season? Um, they just just got off that series with, with Lindenwood. And like maybe this the it's two wins right when you win three one four one like there's a little bit of meat on the bone I would say considering the the team that Lindenwood is um so that raises a little bit of a concern um but I feel like Western never is sort of a Big Ten team in the sense that it's like gonna score a bunch and like mm-hmm. just outscore its problems um so maybe that's just a difference in styles that I'm making that comparison wrongly um but i i do think it's a big series for them against denver it, that's it'll be one to one to watch game of the week type type game for for nchc fans um although i don't know if there's a huge nchc cult following other than individual schools but that's whatever um <laughs> I, I i think if they can if they can split it at least and if they can maybe obviously get this week but i think if they can split it i think that's a, an admirable result result against a a team that's perpetually at the the top of of college hockey, except for last season, they had a little bit of a slump, but yeah, they're still a one seed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, cool. Um, so we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, we will be back uh, same time next week uh, with a little more. We'll make sure we get into our World Junior talk next week as well. Definitely looking forward to some of that. Um, yeah. Uh, for now, that's all we've got. Be sure to check out Connor's continued work at the Daily and him heating up with uh, THN's NCAA site. That will be definitely some can't-miss content for y'all. 
Um, and of course, check out THN.com slash Detroit. Check out gulagulohockey.substack.com. Although admittedly, that's been a little quiet of late. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for listening. And we will be back next Friday. Thank you.